Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. In December of 2017, we each selected Christmas-themed episodes to listen to, and I chose an adaptation of Charles Dickens' other ghost story, The Signal Man. The story doesn't inherently have a Christmas theme, but ghost stories are a bit of a holiday tradition in Britain. 23 years after publishing A Christmas Carol, Dickens published The Signal Man in the 1866 Christmas edition of the literary magazine All the Year Round. It was part of an anthology called Mugby Junction, which featured stories about the rail lines that extend from that junction. The story was adapted by several series, including Lights Out, Hall of Fantasy, Columbia Workshop, and Nightfall. The Weird Circle adapted the story under the name The Thing in the Tunnel. Suspense adapted the story for radio three times. The first featured Agnes Moorhead and aired March 23, 1953. It returned in November of 1956, featuring Sarah Churchill, and then again in February of 1959, featuring Ellen Drew. Given how many adaptations of the story exist, I thought it would be fun to make a holiday tradition of listening to a different version each December. Our first year, we listened to the suspense version from 1956 with Sarah Churchill, who, in addition to being an actress and dancer, was also a daughter of Winston Churchill. Last year, we listened to Columbia Workshop's version from January of 1937. This year, I've brought the version presented by Beyond Midnight. Beyond Midnight ran from 1968 to 1970 on Springbok Radio in South Africa. The series was created by writer, actor, and radio producer Michael McCabe. The series was a follow-up to another radio series by McCabe, a science fiction series called SF-68. McCabe was born in England but moved to Africa in the 1960s. After a short stint as a stage actor in Kenya, he joined the production staff at Springbok Radio, quickly becoming one of their top talents. Springbok Radio was South Africa's first commercial radio station, broadcasting from 1950 to 1985. In addition to Beyond Midnight, the station produced many notable series, including The Creaking Door, an adaptation of Hyman Brown's horror hit, Inner Sanctum, and a short-lived radio version of the TV series The Avengers. That's Steed and Peel Avengers, not Hulk and Thor Avengers. When McCabe was not writing and producing for radio, he was acting. By the late 1970s, McCabe was one of South Africa's leading stage actors with award-winning performances in Butley, Shadowlands, and The Dresser. In 2005, McCabe was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award for his work on stage. Beyond Midnight focused on tales of supernatural suspense. McCabe wrote several original scripts for the series, but most were adaptations of classic stories by authors such as H.G. Wells, F. Marion Crawford, Henry James, E. Nesbitt, and in this case, Charles Dickens. This is The Signalman from Beyond Midnight, first broadcast March 28, 1969. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. (laughs) ¶¶ 
When the signalman heard my voice thus calling to him, he was standing at the door of his box, with a flag in his hand, furled round its short pole. One would have thought he could not have doubted from what quarter the voice came, but instead of looking up to where I stood on the top of the steep cutting over the railway line, he turned himself about and looked down the line. There was something remarkable about the man, but the way he stood, something strange, perhaps uncanny, but certainly I would have termed such a thought mere imagination then. I know now what was remarkable about that man, and even though years have passed, I still see his figure, foreshortened and shadowed, down in the deep trench, my figure high above him, so steeped in the glow of an angry sunset that I shaded my eyes with my hand before I saw him at all. Hello, hello! Is there any path by which I may come down and speak with you? Biotex, the new soak and pre-wash powder presents Beyond Midnight by Michael McCabe. Now, ladies, we're speaking about biotex in this series of programs that a Mrs. E.B. Granger of Gordon Road, Heathfield in the Cape wrote to say that she decided to try our biotex just to see if it lived up to our claims. And she said, I bought a packet and lo and behold, it actually did just what the advert said. I'm so proud of the children's white shirts the hankies and the underwear, that I want to say it will be biotex for me every washing day from now on. Some of my family's accessories were left with slight stains, but now, thanks to biotex soaking, they come out white, and the stains do go away, as you say. Now, that is the statement from Mrs. Granger of Heathfield of the Cape, and it bears out what we have been saying to you ladies ever since biotex first came on the market. We said to you, it is different to any washing product that you've ever used before. We claim that the stubbornest stains will vanish, and people like Mrs. Granger bear out our claims. Remember, Biotex. the man. He stood now with his left hand at his chin, his right hand across his breast. His post was in as solitary and dismal place as ever I saw. There was an earthy, deadly smell, and little sunlight penetrated down to the line and signal box. The gloomy entrance of the black tunnel yawned. I stopped a few feet in front of the man, and suddenly he stepped back and raised his right hand. There was something in the man that daunted me. This is a lonesome post to occupy. A visitor, I should think, must be a rarity, yes? I, uh, I looked down from up yonder and felt a need to come down. Signal boxes have always riveted my attention. He directed a most curious look towards the red light near the tunnel's mouth. Uh, the light is in your charge, is it not? Don't you 
Don't you know it is? A monstrous thought came into my mind. This was a spirit, not a man. I, I stepped back, but then I detected in his eyes some latent fear of me. You look at me as if you had a dread of me. I was doubtful whether I'd seen you before. Where? There. By the light. There? My good fellow, what should I do there? Well, however, be that as it may, I, I never was there. You may be sure of that. I, I, I've always had a fascination for railways and their workings. If it would not disturb you, uh, may I prevail upon you to show me over your box? Uh, of course, then. Um, uh, come this way, sir, come this way. Uh, thank you. Uh, come this way, sir, please. Manual labor, I had next to none. I have to trim those lights, turn that iron handle now and then. Many long, dreary hours I have to spend here, so I occupy my time working at fractions and equations, uh, problems, you know. Is it necessary for you always to remain in this damp air down here? Even in this single box with a fire aglow, it, it is somehow oppressive. Can you never rise into the sunshine? Well, that depends upon times and circumstances. I see. Under some conditions, there will be less upon the line than under others. In bright weather, I go up for a change. Certain hours of the day and night, I'm freer than others. But at all times, I'm liable to be called by my electric bell. Ah. So, forgive me, but you appear better educated than your station in life calls for. I mean no offense. <laughs> When I was younger, I was a student of natural philosophy. I attended lectures, but it all came to nothing. I ran wild and was sent down. <laughs> I'd never risen again. But I had made my bed, sir, and now I must lie on it. It is too late to make another. Ah, acceptance of things for what they are. There is something to that. You almost make me believe that I have met a contented man. I used to be. But I'm troubled, sir. I'm troubled. Oh? With what? What is your trouble? It is very difficult to impart. Very, very difficult to speak of. If you... If you ever make another visit, I will try to tell you. But I expressly intend to make you another visit. Say, when shall it be? I go off early in the morning, and I shall be on guard at ten tomorrow night. I'll, uh, I'll come at eleven. I'll... Show you my white light. That is, till you found the way. When you have found it, don't call out. And when you are at the top, don't call out. Very well. Uh, let me ask you a, a parting question. What made you cry, Hello, below there, tonight? Heaven knows. I, I cried something to that effect. No. Not to that effect, sir. Those were the very words... I know them well. Well, I spoke thus because I, I saw you below and wished to attract for, your attention. For, for no other reason. What other reason could I possibly have? You had no feeling that they were conveyed to you in any supernatural way? No. Oh, good night, sir. Oh, may I inquire your name? Mine is William Bendy. Mine is Charles Dickens.
There was something singularly peculiar about the man. Of this I was sure. And I could hardly wait the time before I could speak with him again. That he was well-educated, there was no doubt. That he feared something or someone very greatly, there was no doubt either. There was something tortured about him. While we talked that first night, he was several times interrupted by the little bell and had to read off messages and send replies. Once he had to stand and display a flag as a train passed. Once or twice while he was speaking, he turned and watched the bell, and his face drained of all color when it did not ring. I was punctual to my appointment the next night. Good night, sir. My hand. Good night to you, sir. And here's mine. Um, I have made up my mind, sir, that you shall not have to ask me twice what troubles me. Oh, oh please be seated. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I took you for someone else yesterday night. That troubles me. That mistake? No. That's someone else. Who is it? I don't know. Like me? I don't know. I I never saw the face. The left arm is across the face, and the left arm is waved, violently waved. Uh, this way, for pity's sake, clear the way. One moonlight night, I was sitting here when I heard a voice cry, Hello, hello there. Look out. I started up, looked from that door, and saw this someone else standing by the red light near the tunnel, waving as I just showed you. The voice seemed hoarse with shouting, and he cried, Look out, look out. And then again, Hello, below there, look out. I caught up my lamp, turned it on red, and ran towards the figure. Hello, below there, look out, look out. What has happened? just stood in the blackness outside the tunnel. I advanced so close upon it that I wondered at it keeping the sleeve before the eyes. I ran up to it and had my hand stretched out to pull the sleeve away when it was gone. Into the tunnel? No. I ran into the tunnel 500 yards. I stopped and held my lamp above my head and saw the figures of the measured distance and saw the wet stains stealing down the walls and trickling through the arch. I ran out again, faster than I had run in, for I had a mortal abhorrence of the place upon me. And I looked all around the red light with my own red light. And I went up the iron ladder atop of it. And then I came down again and ran back here. I telegraphed both ways. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? Oh, well... All well. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? All well. All well. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? All well. This figure must have been a deception of your senses. A deception of your sense of sight. 
Figures such as you describe sometimes originate in the delicate nerves that minister to the functions of the eye. As to the imaginary voice, well, the wind, dear sir, the wind which sometimes sounds, well, in this unnatural valley, think that is all very well. I know about the wind and telegraph wires. I pass many long nights here, alone and watching, but, but I beg to remark, sir, that I've not finished my story. I, I ask your pardon. Within six hours after the appearance, a memorable accident on this line happened, and within ten hours, the dead and wounded were brought along through the tunnel over the spot where the figure had stood. <laughs> Now, an effective spray-on furniture polish that gives a wax shine instantly. Johnson's Pledge. Just spray on. And... Your duster becomes a magnet. Picks up every speck of dust in seconds. Pledge dusts, cleans, deep waxes quickly, easily. And new, deeper wax formula pledge will protect your furniture longer. By Johnson's Pledge Aerosol Today. Soak, soak, that's all you have to do. Soak, soak, just for an hour or two, you'll find things look as good as new when you use new Biotex. Amazing new Biotex soaks stubborn stains away. Clean, clean, everything soon will be clean, clean, for all the world to see. Soak, soak, spend away easily when you use new Biotex. Get amazing new Biotex today and let soaking do the washing. Within ten hours, the dead and wounded were brought along through the tunnel over the spot where the figure had stood. This was just a year ago. Six or seven months passed, and I had recovered from the surprise and shock when, one morning, as day was breaking, I, standing at that door, looked towards the red light and saw the spectre again. Did it cry out? No, it was silent. Did it wave its arm? No. It leaned against the shaft of the light with both hands before the face like this. Like an action of mourning I've seen in stone figures on tombs. Did you go up to it? I came in and sat down, partly to collect my thoughts, partly because it had turned me faint. When I went to the door again, daylight was all around me and... And the ghost had gone. Ghost. That very day, as the train came out of the tunnel, I noticed at a carriage window on my side a confusion of hands and heads. I saw it just in time to signal the driver, stop. He shut off and put his brakes on. But the train drifted past here, a hundred or fifty yards or so. A beautiful young lady had died instantly in one of the compartments. And she was brought in here to the box and lay there on the floor between us. True, sir. True. Precisely as it happened. So I tell it you. Now, sir, mark this and judge how my mind is troubled. 
The specter came back a week ago. Ever since, it has been there now and again by fits and starts. At the light. At the danger light. What does it seem to do? Like this. For pity's sake, clear the way. For pity's sake, clear the way. For pity's sake, clear the way. I have no peace or rest from it. It calls to me. Below there! Look out! Below there! Look out! For pity's sake, clear the way. It calls for many minutes together. In an agonized way, it rings my little bell. Ah, I remember. Did it ring your bell yesterday evening when I was here and you went to the door? Twice. Oh, I see how your imagination misleads you. My eyes were on the bell and my ears were open to the bell. And if I'm a living man, it did not ring at those times. No, nor at any other time, except in the course of natural physical things when it was rung by the station communicating to you. I have never made a mistake as to that yet, sir. I have never confused the specter's ring with a man's. The ghost's ring is a strange vibration in the bell that it derives from nothing else. And I have not asserted that the bell stirs to the eye. I don't wonder that you failed to hear it. But I heard it. And did the specter seem to be there when you looked out? It was there. Both times? Both times. Will you come to the door and look with me now? Huh? I saw the danger light and the dismal mouth of the tunnel. The high, wet stone walls of the cutting. There were stars in the sky. Do you see it? No. It is not there. Agreed? By this time, sir, you will fully understand that what troubles me greatly is what does the specter mean? I... I do not know. What is its warning against? What is the danger? Where is the danger? There is danger overhanging somewhere on the line. Some dreadful calamity will happen. It is not to be doubted this third time after what has gone before, but surely this is a cruel haunting of me. What can I do? At this, the poor man pulled out his handkerchief and wiped the drops from his heated forehead. I, I could think of nothing to say, nothing to put courage into him. If I telegraph danger on either side of me or on both, I can give no reason for it. I should get into trouble and do no good. They would think I was mad. Can you imagine? This is the way it would work. Danger! Take care! What's danger? Where? I don't know, but for pity's sake, take care! They would say I'd gone mad and they would displace me. What else could they do? His pain of mind was most pitiable to see. It was the mental torture of a conscientious man, oppressed beyond endurance by a responsibility involving life. When it first stood under the danger light, why not tell me how it might be averted? Why not tell me where the accident was to happen, if it had to happen? When 
On the second coming, it hit its head. Why not tell me instead she is going to die? Tell them to keep her at home. If it came on those two occasions only to show me that its warnings were true, and so to prepare me for the third, why not warn me plainly now? And I, a poor signal man, on this solitary station, why not go to somebody with credit to be believed and power to act? Bendy, William, you, you cannot blame yourself for anything. You must not become so agitated. Whoever so thoroughly discharges his duty as you do must do well. It must needs be comfort to you to know full well that you understand your duty perfectly. The fact remains, I know that, that you do not understand these confounded appearances, but you must not take on so. I, I will not insult you by trying to reason you out of your belief. Thank you, sir. I left him at two o'clock that morning. I'd offered to stay the night, but he would not hear of it. As I climbed the path up, I looked down to the red light. I, I did not like it. I knew full well I should not sleep sound if my bed were under it. Nor did I like the two sequences of the accident and the dead girl. I, I wondered how I ought to act. I knew the man to be painstaking, vigilant... And although in an inferior position, he held a most important trust. How long, with his mind as it was, would he remain to execute this trust with precision, I wondered. I resolved to accompany him to the wisest medical man in those parts and to take his opinion. Something told me that it would be most treacherous to communicate all that the signalman had told me to his superiors. It might well cost him his living. A change in his time of duty would come round next night, he had informed me. He would be off an hour or two after sunrise, and on again soon after sunset. I had appointed to return accordingly. Next evening was a lovely evening. And I walked out early to enjoy it. The sun was not yet quite down when I traversed the field path near the top of the deep cutting. I would extend my walk for an hour, I said to myself, a half an hour on and half an hour back, and it would then be time to go to my signalman's box. Before pursuing my stroll, I stepped to the brink and mechanically looked down from the point from which I had first seen him. I cannot describe the thrill that seized upon me when, close at the mouth of the tunnel, I saw the appearance of a man with his left sleeve across his eyes, passionately waving his right arm. A nameless horror that oppressed me quickly passed when, close at the mouth of the tunnel, I saw that this appearance of a man was a man. There was a little group of men standing further away, and this first one seemed to be rehearsing the gesture he made, the gesture the signalman had described so vividly. The danger light was not yet lighted. Against its shaft, a little low hut, entirely new to me, had been made of some wooden supports and tarpaulin. It looked no bigger than a bed. I descended the path with all the speed I could muster. Hello! 
Hello, what is the matter? What what has happened? Signalman killed this morning, sir. Not not the man belonging to that box. Yes, sir. Not the man I knew. You will recognize him, sir, if you knew him. You raised the tarpaulin cowering from the small structure I had observed from above. His face is quite composed. How, how did this happen? He was cut down by an engine, sir. No man in England knew his work better, but somehow he, he was not clear of the outer rail. It was just at broad day. He'd struck the light and had the lamp in his hand, and, and as the engine came out of the tunnel, his, his back was towards her, and she cut him down. Uh, that man drove her and, and was showing how it happened. Uh, show the gentleman, Tom. Well, uh, coming round the curve in the tunnel, sir, I saw him at the end, like as if I saw him down a perspective glass. Well, there was no time to check speed, and I knew him to be very careful. As he didn't seem to take heed of the whistle, I shut it off. And as we were running down upon him, I, I called to him as loud as I could call. What What did you say? Say, sir? Why, I said, below there. Look out. For pity's sake, clear the way. left off calling to him, sir. I put my arm before my eyes so as not to see, and I waved this arm right to the last. But it was no use. some music. I feel like dancing. But I thought you had a splitting headache. Well, that was five minutes ago. I've taken Grandpa Headache Powder since. Grandpa Headache Powders kill pain, soothe strained nerves and lift depression. Grandpa Headache Powders are extra effective because they have a triple action. Grandpa Headache Powders work extra fast because they dissolve almost immediately. Get fast, effective relief from any pain, all pain. Get Grandpa Headache Powders. Ah, Grandpa. Soak, soak, that's all you have to do. Soak, soak, just for an hour or two, you'll find soak as good as new when you use the Biotex. With amazing new Biotex, the stubbornest stains will vanish. Yes, vanish clean away. Just by soaking your laundry overnight in cold water, or for an hour or two in warm water, or by pre-washing it quickly in your washing machine. Get amazing new Biotex today. Beyond Midnight is presented every Friday night at half past nine by Biotex, the new soak and pre-wash powder. That was The Signalman from Beyond Midnight. 
here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And as we stated at the top of our podcast, this has now become a yearly tradition where Tim selects an episode of The Signalman for us. It started two, three years ago. This when is you, our third year. I think this came about because you <laughs> discovered that there were eight million versions of The Signalman and we could probably get through a long period of podcasting. He originally just pitched turning this into the Signalman podcast. No, (laughs) no, once a year. That's it, Tim. So yeah, the one with Winston Churchill's daughter was really super fascinating to me. When we first heard it, I'd never heard of the Signalman or read the story or anything. And now I'm some kind of like scholar in the Signalman (laughs) by accident. But it's hard for me Everything is compared to that first one. As we say in this podcast a lot, you know, if you've read the book, then you're comparing it to the book. If you've seen the movie, you're comparing it to the movie. For me, it's that first signalman Mm -hmm. and comparing it to her performance in that. Well, this is a lot more recent, but I feel like that one is still a more modern take on the story. Yeah, exactly. This seems much more traditional. This is probably the truest to the original story of the three. Definitely more than the suspense, but uh, just by a little closer to the original than the Columbia Workshop version. Yeah. Out of all of them you have to choose, why'd you uh, lean toward this one this year? Any reason other than that I was just do? curious to hear what Beyond Midnight did, just because the past couple of Beyond Midnight episodes we listened to, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I listened to the previous two recently, and I feel like part of the analysis of what does each one do with the story part of it is how does each one fill that story out because you pointed out last year that it's a really uh, i'm sorry i'm indicating joshua joshua pointed out last year it's a really thin little bit of a story mm-hmm. that each of these episodes so far has done something to kind of fill it out fill to it half out. an hour which i feel like beyond midnight shows advertisements Yep. <laughs> well, the good news is I think that every time we listen to Beyond Midnight, that there is a grading curve of how the biotech commercials are getting weirder or better. Let's just break down the biotech. I, that lady was very proud of her underwear. <laughs> yes, that's what stuck with me. <laughs> right? Such pride at laundry. So weird. I'll never get that. By the way, is Exciting. biotech spelled T-E-C-H? Have we figured out? T-E-X. Yes, T-E-X. Biotech, yeah. Well, there you go. We've solved that <laughs> mystery. Just drop this pretense of talking about Charles Dickens and get into <laughs> biotechs. Grandpa's headache yeah. is what amuses me. Oh, there's worse, though, because she says at the end, Ah, oh, oh, Grandpa. Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, gross. Yep. Well, then they also have a really bad edit where they something very scary and horrible has happened as it ends, and it goes right into, let's play some music. I feel like dancing. <laughs> it's the very end. Yes. Yeah, the whole thing ends on this sad, poignant note. Yeah, then... yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> Grandpa's headache powder. <laughs> um, I think this is the first time, though, that the narrator was identified as Charles Dickens. Is that correct, or did that happen? That is, no, that that's unique to this episode. That's an interesting thing. Does... I'm going to have a nerd moment and say, I hated that. Yeah? <laughs> Just took me out of it, yeah. because it's such a wink that they do nothing with. When I first heard it, I went, oh, are they going to connect this to... Oliver? The st- <laughs> well, the Staplehurst rail line crash right. that Dickens was actually a part of, and people have theorized that this story was inspired by that, and I thought, oh, are they going to weave that in? Nope. They're just going to say, Charles Dickens, get it? Yeah. Wink. That and was then, a glorious nerd moment. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it goes even further. Oh. What I was angry about was that... 
if in universe <laughs> we are to believe that this is Charles Dickens, he was crazy famous by this time. Right. <laughs> this lonely guy in the railroad station would be like, you're Charles Dickens? No, no, not that Charles Dickens. <laughs> My be, life is a nightmare. <laughs> it would be like if you're doing an overnighter somewhere and a guy comes up and starts asking you questions and says he's George R.R. R. Martin. I mean, that would be Couldn't this you sort pick of... someone that I know? <laughs> the Game of Thrones guy. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. Couldn't you just say like... Tom Cruise, I could have figured, you know, like and Tom the, Cruise isn't a maybe he's written something, but it's probably not. Oh, very good. writer wise, <laughs> Stephen King. Oh, okay, sure. yeah, there we go. No, uh, let's try it again. Try it again. Better. Okay, <laughs> it would be like <laughs> if oh. Eric was working at a railroad right. and Stephen King came up. My question was before I was going to say what you just said. He does not identify himself in the story. No. So it's not written. No, that's starring Charles Dickens. A wink from this. Okay. So then, yeah. Production. Then boo. <laughs> Absolute boo. I, other than that, it's hard to analyze for me because it follows the story. I've heard the story. It did it the same. I didn't see much that stood out. And it's still. Honest to God, it's been three years. It's still somewhat confusing to me exactly what's going on. And I know. I thought that this look, episode cleared a few things I was up for me. Say the same thing. This is the most coherent presentation of the story, I think. Which is not to disagree with you. I think there's some stuff in there like, what is happening? What, what? But this one I thought helped me out on a few points. So can we just hit those points? Okay, there's a so guy. first, Charles Dickens is walking around a railroad station for some reason. So, random person. Maybe Charles Dickens, maybe Sarah Churchill, who's exploring her past trauma through railroad events, Um, for whatever reason, wants to go talk to this rail guy. Yeah. Who's down in a cutting, which I believe is meant to be like, it's a... A valley? It's like an underground tunnel you took the top off of. Okay. I just Um, learned something. So initially, when they're saying, hello down there, which I should do the role, because that was uncanny. (laughs) Hello down there! (laughs) Uh, it struck as odd because the person who's down there does not look up at the top where the person is calling, but rather where the danger light is, which I think is right where the train goes into the tunnel. Yes. Um, it's going to take me more than a half an hour to describe what that is. But then he gets there. Mm-hmm. It's always, oh, you scared me because I had a dream of someone yelling that same thing at me. Because on more than one occasion, he has seen someone by the light of the danger light Mm-hmm. saying those same words, and then after that happens, that person seems to disappear, mm-hmm. and then a tragedy happens on the rail. And I think it's in this version that it becomes clearer that the signalman might just be attributing those tragedies to the ghost, and the true tragedy of this story is that he is never able to understand the warning the ghost is giving him, and he's warning him not about these other deaths, but oh, yeah. about his own. And That's awesome. You just cleared a bunch of stuff up for me. Because at the end, I do get that, that he doesn't hear the train coming, and the guy's yelling that stuff at him and clips him. And it was clear to me this him. time that, in fact, that ghost spirit vision might have been the one who was actually worked him over because he had seen it by the danger light so often that when the engineer this time is calling it to him, he doesn't look back at the train. He's looking where he kept seeing that vision. So the so ghost he doesn't see the train coming and is so the smashed. ghost is a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> so it's jerk ghost. That's jerk what this ghost. should be called. Oh, yeah. It's unclear because part of it is also the signalman's frustration at not being able to understand these spectral warnings, and I think that's the appeal to the story 
to me. It's this right. tragedy of miscommunication because he, he says he, that, that like, why? Just tell me. And the irony of his job is to simply convey messages back and forth. Yes. He can't call anybody because what is he going to say? Danger. Yeah. What's the danger? I don't know, but I know there is one. This particular production does a great job doing those calls back and forth. Yeah, I'm wanting to hear the lights out version now because it seemed very lights outy. Yeah, when he says, <laughs> you know, an alarm has been given. Is there anything wrong? And the repetition of that. Yeah. There's something oddly moving and truthful in that, right. <laughs> in that cry. It has this sort of fear and hope in it. And just hearing it eerily repeated over and over again is unsettling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The production element of the abruptness of coming back from the uh, flashbacks was distracting to me. Yeah. They're in a flashback, and then bam, they slam back Mm -hmm. in. A a nice little fade would help (laughs) me out with that a little bit. I still can't decide whether that was intentional or some sort of issue with... The recording. the recording that survived because I've Correct. never heard them use any sort of technique like that. Right. But it certainly wasn't a spot where they cut a commercial because no. they have more commercials <laughs> than I've ever heard in a radio show practical. So I don't think they cut any. And you don't listen to modern day radio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're right. Uh, well, if you set that criticism aside, I find something really appealing about the sound of Beyond Midnight. Mm-hmm. And this is consistent from production to production that I've heard, there's always this very appealing minimalism. Mm-hmm. Mm. Incidental music is used very sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, they are deliberate but frugal with sound effects. Um, here it's mostly trains and footfalls and some bird song to denote that it's moved from night to morning. Right. Um, but m- most of all, what is distinctive to me And again, I don't know if it's maybe the quality of the surviving recordings or the way they did it in South Africa. I don't know. But there is a strange intimacy to the performances. Like everyone seems to speak in a slightly hushed tone when they're narrating. And it just feels like they're closer to you as a listener. And depending on the story, that may or may not be effective. But in this type of ghost story, it's very effective. It was fascinating. Of the three we've heard, the three different performances of the title character and what a difference it makes of the in the suspense he was this very quiet introspective sort of figure mm-hmm. uh, which really added a sense of isolation and heartbreak to his death second one it was much more about he's kind of coming unglued yeah uh, it was a very twitchy shouty character i'm good with the words <laughs> <laughs> uh and this time it was much more that much more intimate it was, he seemed very frustrated but not out of control he mm-hmm. just he seems very rational yeah 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 and that's why i feel it seems true to the story he has to be sane seeming enough for the narrator to be intrigued and to keep coming back even though in the story and i think it's in this adaptation too he talks about coming back the next day and maybe he can find him some psychiatric help yeah uh, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like it's because he thinks this guy is just Irrational. A lunatic, yeah. but that... He's just suffering from hallucinations. Yeah. With a little bit of help, he could maybe get over this. I, I'm not sure why it's important that we know how educated he is and that he it is... It plays different roles in each adaptation, mm-hmm. I thought. For this one, it was brought up and left behind, it felt. The idea that he was very well educated. Yeah, it was just like passing education of like, I don't mean to be insulting. Like, no, mm. no, no. Taken. I, I think it's important so that in we Dickens' know that time he... to know that he's not superstitious. Right, right? exactly. There is uh, some classism in here is that he's an educated man 
and he still thinks right. he's been visited by a harbinger of doom. Right. right. There's also an element of character, and I don't mean a fictional character, but is in uh, he's a person who's accepted the consequences of his actions. He partied in school and <laughs> <laughs> threw away his education, and he had a social fall, and he's just accepted the consequences of that. This is where he is now due to his own actions, um, and the narrator admires that. Imagine the day of like, oh, I just threw my college education away, and now I'm stuck with a regular job on the railroad <laughs> with good pay and- <laughs> no one talking to me. Nobody talking to me. Left alone all day. It reminds me when I was in college, I worked at a parking ramp uh, that mm-hmm. no one parked in. Yeah. And Stephen King came up to you and started asking <laughs> questions. And I was like, who's Stephen King? No, I sat in a booth all day. Nobody came in and out of that ramp. Just this little tiny booth. And I will say that 35 years later, I don't think I've had a better job. <laughs> and I don't think I knew how great of a life that was sitting there watching a black and white television <laughs> and daytime soaps. Oh, you are the 20th century signal. I was. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you, know, you get out of that little booth and you start trying to achieve things and comes with a lot of responsibility and no sleep. <laughs> Back then... I had no care got in the paid world. paid to sleep. I got paid to watch TV. <laughs> One thing that struck me in this adaptation, and was probably in the others, but for some reason it stood out, is when the guys who are examining the scene of the accident oh, yeah. ask the narrator to look at the body, and they say his face is quite composed. Mm, and that was an odd phrase, yeah. Yeah, but it struck me thematically that he finally understood the message. Was there some oh, sort of yeah. moment of peace, like... Oh, it was me. <laughs> I'm getting hit by a train right now. Oh, that's a relief. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> because uh, there is an earlier exchange of dialogue uh, related to his education at Fall from Grace, uh, where the narrator says, you almost make me believe I have met with a contented man. So I connected that line of oh, his face quite composed to mm-hmm. some final contented peace in death. That is an interesting connection as well, the... Uh his, you have to accept your fate, you, that acceptance. And when the engineer is saying, I saw him, like, I can't stop the train at this point. Yeah. Whistle, tried everything, screamed out the window, but I'm going to hit him. That is a horrifying moment to hear. Like, I don't have a choice but to hit him. Yeah. Live with that. And he acknowledges that this signalman is good at his job. He seems to know who he is. Yeah. Yep. Like, at first, he was like, yeah, he was knows like, I'm coming. I'm, I'm not going to really try to stop because <laughs> he's going to get out of the way. That's. Mm-hmm. A nice little bit of detail, too. All right. Any other thoughts on this that we want to lay down before sending it to the vote? Uh, just, I think this is going to be the second most contemporary one we're going to hear. Nightfall is probably uh, more recent than that, maybe. I am terribly curious to hear the Nightfall one. <laughs> what year is Nightfall? I don't know. I haven't checked it out, but it's... No, I mean, what year are we doing it? <laughs> <laughs> you have these marked out, I'm assuming. Oh, No. not in the slightest (laughs) this year was lights out that was the plan (laughs) all right that was a great episode of lights out thank you uh should we vote yeah Yeah. tim you started this whole thing it would be hard to say this is a classic a must listen to episode of radio but it stands the test of time it continues to amaze me how the story uh for as simple as it is gets adapted so much and so differently uh, the variety of takes on it. Uh, so, yeah, I think it stands the test of time. 
I will say it's not a classic. I will say that, yes, it stands the test of time if you enjoy the Signal Man story. If, if that's <laughs> and I hope you do, because there's a lot more coming. <laughs> yeah, if but, you don't, you are out of luck. Right? But in comparison to the last two, it's in third place. I, I like the other two a little better, and it could be just heard it. Heard this story, so it, I think it's really hard for me. Yeah, uh, it definitely stands the test of time for me. Uh, I wouldn't call it a classic. I like this much better than the Columbia Workshop one because I feel the Columbia Workshop one makes minor changes that severely undermine the story, but not enough changes like Suspense did to make it something of its own. Yeah, yeah. And I feel this is truer to the story and does a really successful job other than cramming Charles Dickens in there as a little moment. <laughs> Did I mention how that really bugged me? <laughs> you know the sentence, cramming Charles Dickens in there? <laughs> yeah. Is that just it's a, careful. It's a new don't, holiday tradition. Yeah, don't Google cramming Charles Dickens. <laughs> don't. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. Home of this podcast, you'll find other episodes there. It's also a great way to get a hold of us. You can send us a message. You can comment on episodes. You can link to our social media pages. If you have requests for episodes you'd like us to listen to, that's the way to send it to us. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We do appreciate it. We've got rewards on there you might be interested in, including a monthly members-only podcast, Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio. You can also go to iTunes and write a review. You could just recycle the same review every single Christmas like Tim does with this episode. <laughs> that would be fine. Um, you can also go to Facebook and like the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. You can also join our Mysterious Old Facebook listening group and discussion group because uh, we have a lot of polls and interesting discussions uh, that affect the podcast. Yes, you can <laughs> voice your thoughts and we may listen to them or we may not. <laughs> but it's worth a try. Also, we do live performances where we do recreations of old-time radio as a theater company and we also do a lot of original work. Uh, if you'd like to find out where and when we're performing our radio shows, uh, just go to the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society com and you can click on uh, the next shows, I think it says, or something of that <laughs> uh, to that effect. Just start clicking stuff. All right, what's coming up next? Uh, next, we will be listening to a Christmas Carol from Aww. the Campbell Playhouse. Until then, look out! May I inquire your name? Mine is Charles Dickens. And a bar humbug to you. <laughs>